morning. This is The Vulture's Nest on 2SER, your weekly cultural criticism show. My name is Fiona Pepper and joining me in the nest this morning are fellow vultures Nick Healy. Good morning. And Andrew Popel. Hello. And we're talking all about language today. Underage Red, the controversial name of a line of lipsticks which came under fire this week. Just a bit of fun or sexualising young girls and trivialising pedophilia. That's up next, but first... Tony Abbott has been using language in a curious way, now and way before he was elected as PM. But do these outrageous catchphrases that he seems to come up with on the spur of the moment actually work to expose more policies than he would have hoped? Andrew. Well, look, I want to start just to say thank goodness that we got to this topic on time. Uh, look, with all this talk of a spill, who knows exactly when a double dissolution, spill, hellmouth apocalypse will befall us. And then I would have just had to change the whole government opposition tense in my jokes. It's a, it's a whole thing. They do love to wax lyrical on the dramatic, don't they? Um, Look, of course I'm referring to PM Tone's latest Nazi verbal faux pas, but really it's, it's all about the pollies and their air comma interesting turn of phrase. But let's not be unfair. Who can forget the old master of pup, it's uh, Clive Palmer, suggesting that Tone's should commit suicide. <laughs> Paul Keating was a veritable portmanteur of ready-to-wear vitriol. And though one suspects he meant every word of it uh, and, and that gaff may not even be in his vocabulary. And what about Mark Latham? He's still going on like no one told him he wasn't up for the main job anymore. The Tonemanator, and I'm stretching it here, I know, doesn't even have to open his mouth. What about that wink or the weird tie and hand job he gave to the Irish? I heard what I said there. Is he possibly the best thing that's happened to the political left in years? But really, so what are our options? We have, you know, perhaps a, ver- a veritable verbal loose cannon who spews forth on whatever and whenever he likes, or a calm and managed media machine who never goes off statement, even if the statement is that for operational reasons, we cannot comment on the comments about commenting. Because Tony tried, he really, he really, really tried to change his ways. Back in early 2014, the Sydney Morning Herald featured an article quoting Dr. Kate Medill, who is the director of the Voice Research Laboratory at University of Sydney. She noted that since his election, mere months earlier, he had dramatically reduced his speech rate, particularly in media interviews. <clears throat> in addition, he had reduced the number of disfluencies, and these are the ums and ahs that give us all a chance to uh, take a sip of our drinks without getting bored, or at least looking bored. So in a nutshell, he'd had some coaching to tidy up his presentation. Now, was this because he'd enjoyed some notoriety for chowing chowing down on his own shoe leather and punching university walls, or was it simply that a new government appreciated the seriousness of the job at hand? It's a tough world for a government. The strictures of our more inverted air commas, uh, damn radio, democracy, requiring that the government is constantly dealing with rogue elements like the Greens, the Sex Party, the Senate. Um, It's frustrating. So they have to vent their spleen, and sometimes our spleens haven't been paying attention to the how how to not be crazy xenophobic bigot handbook that we all get handed at the beginning of our social lives, though so few read it. Do you know what their problem is? As much as they try, the police just don't seem to be able to take on board the lessons of George Orwell in his User's Guide to the English Language, a.k.a. Newspeak. 
The principles of Newspeak so narrowed the modes of expression that it was possible to articulate a particular worldview, say three-day working weeks and free kittens <coughs> for everyone, and to remove modes of dissent such that no other modes of thought are possible. What Polly wouldn't want that? Now, just when you think PM Tones is on board with the mission statement, he goes and opens his mouth about the Nazis. Meanwhile, Clive is singing to impress the kids, and everyone's just hoping that Christine Milne says something so that we can be sure she's alive. Guys, are we perpetually in two minds about the type of Polly we want to hear from? Do you care about Jackie Lambie's preference in genitalia, or do we want the mission statement, inflexible world of a less robust parliament? You know, you mentioned Jackie, and she does trip up every other day but it is nice to see a politician who who is vulnerable and kind of exposed and you actually really do hear what they think but maybe when it's the prime minister you don't want to hear you don't want to hear these kind of inarticulate thoughts that are yeah not very politically correct you want to hear something concise i want the prime minister to be the smartest man in the room that's Mm. why i want him to be prime minister I, I want statesmen. I mean, in America, we went from Kennedy, ask not, to George Bush, fool me, don't be fooled, they say it in Tennessee. I mean, like, there is a wealth of difference between the way we expressed, uh, politicians expressed themselves in the 60s and 70s to what we have now. And I think it's worth noting Malcolm Fraser was an exceptionally articulate prime minister, uh, no matter how we feel about the legitimacy of his prime ministership. The other thing that's probably important to remember here is that when we have Jackie Lambie, there was always going to be a learning curve for her and a lot of those new senators. These guys came from other careers where they didn't need as much media management. But then we have career politicians or people that have at least been doing it for decades. Uh, These are the people that, as I mentioned, Tony Abbott had clearly had some media training just since being elected to keep him on task. Now, admittedly, that's referring mostly to his media interviews, and a lot of the comments we're referring to happen in parliamentary question time, but these are not people that are necessarily slipping up as calculating their slip-ups. They know that it's easier to say sorry than to ask permission. So uh. he's, he's going to put it out there. He's going to know that it's for front in our minds, and then he'll, he'll just put it on page five or page 10 that he's sorry. So, Andrew, you're saying that it's a very calculated thing. It isn't a slip-up. I think a lot of it is. I think some of it is a genuine slip-up because um, we're all very familiar. And and we play a a grab of this, except it's actually just Tony nodding his head, not saying anything. (laughs) Tony Abbott sometimes comes across as having a bit of an anger management problem. Um, And other politicians do definitely seem to lose their cool. But I think a lot of the time they stay broadly on track to what they want to say. But I actually do want to play a clip from Tony Abbott where he isn't stumbling. Well, he is stumbling over his words. But... uh, I find it odd because he is justifying the fact that, you know, when you are speaking off the cuff, then you might say something that's... That you didn't mean. That's inappropriate, which, you know, again, what you're saying, Nick, is not necessarily appropriate because you're a politician and you run the country. So we'll just hear a little from Tony. You know, again, Kerry, um, I I know know politicians are going to be judged on everything they say, um, but sometimes uh, in the heat of discussion, you go a little bit further... Uh, than you would uh, if it was an absolutely uh, calm, considered, prepared, scripted remark, which uh, is one of the reasons why um, the, 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 statesman, the statements that need to be taken absolutely um, as, as gospel truth is those carefully prepared, scripted remarks. 
I think Hansard would probably disagree. Um, but coming back to my my initial question, do we do we mind a little bit of unscripting because it, it keeps it genuine, it keeps it real, and I mean, do do we want Tony on message all the all the time if really he's got you know Nazi propaganda dancing through his brain? Well, I think the thing is. Um, most of us realise when he is speaking from a script, he hasn't probably written it himself. So it is nice to kind of see him in a radio interview, you know, mentioning the old lifestyle choice, uh, which, you know, he a couple of weeks ago in terms of the closure of Aboriginal communities in Western Australia, which hasn't gone down very well and he's created a very popular hashtag. Yeah, you do want to actually see how his brain works. You do a little bit, but... I don't mind unscripted. I think you're right. It, it's good to have the idea that politicians are, are genuine people who have genuine opinions. It's not always on message. But I'd like that unscripted to be a little bit articulate at the very least. And that clip we just played was essentially Tone saying, do not trust anything I say if it is not be, if it hasn't been written down. Mm. And that's remarkable to me. I mean, where are the great political zingers? I mean, where's... um. Uh, what do we have? We had Whitlam with uh, Kurz Kerr and Tiberius on the telephone. Uh, even Mark Latham with his conga line of suck holes was more interesting than what we've got now. But you know what? Tony is making a name for himself. Uh, I was in Thailand last year and there was a lot of Russians holidaying in Thailand. And uh, someone said to me, Broski? And I was like, no, Australian. Oh, right. Uh, your prime minister is an idiot. <laughs> and that was following the shirt front incident. You know, and you go, wow, I kind of, I just come across a Russian in Thailand and they know my prime minister and they know about, you know, some recent affair that's just happened. He's really making an international Look, name for himself. Being a bit raw and a bit honest is why I love Ricky Muir because I feel that it is genuine from him. Uh, tone, you know, a bit of a grog monster, shirt fronting. It comes off incredibly fake. He's an Oxford-educated Englishman. He's also a pugilist. I want, I want to muddy the waters, though, just for a second. Are we playing a little bit into personality politics here? Because a few years ago, people started complaining that we were treating the, P, the race to be PM too much like the race to be president, and that's not actually how our system is set up. Uh, we're playing personality politics here and, and forgetting that there is a whole government behind any individual leader who have policies that they're enacting regardless of how Tony runs off at the mouth, do we necessarily stop trusting the government just because the leader has a bit of verbal diarrhoea? Well, Andrew, I think we uh, assume that there's a there's a kind of level of language that is used when in parliament or, you know, in an interview and you don't say shirt fronting. That's a kind of really jarring phrase to use and everyone had to Google it and find out what it actually meant. And then we weren't sure anyway. So, um, <laughs> look, I think you're right. We are playing personality politics, but I think the politicians themselves have been driving us towards it. Tone makes the captain's calls. He's the head, you know. Uh, Christopher Pine, he's the fixer. He fixed it. These guys are pushing themselves as the personalities now, not as in party members it's not politics as I knew it when I was sort of growing up and when I was first voting. It's not a political system I'm particularly enamoured of at the moment, to be perfectly honest. But we're voting for what we've got. Mm. The point you made before, uh, you know, because he, he makes these slip-ups every kind of couple of days, um, although we've we've entered into good government time... Um, <laughs> Is he is he working in the left's favour by you know like if he hadn't have said the the lifestyle choice comment, 
then probably no one would have realised that these communities were being closed in Western Australia. Like, mm. It seems like he shines the light on a lot of policies that mm, a lot of politicians would just try and push through and just don't tell them. I mean, especially the level of secrecy that's going on with this Liberal government. But Tony, you know, you look at the, you know, what he said about the UN after the, you know, treatment of children. Submarines. You know, it goes on and on and on. And it's interesting that these catchphrases just like, boom, we well, know about it. Well, I didn't want to be biased in, in presenting this this topic, but it feels like Bill Shorten's not given us any zingers because they mm. know the only thing they have to do is just keep their mouth shut and let Tony talk. Um, so it's, it's not that... Um, it's not that they're doing no bad. They're just not doing a whole lot because they see, <laughs> they just see Tony tearing it down brick by brick, barb by barb. But it's so true. I mean, look, I'll, I'll just hang this out here. A bit of a lefty, you know, I know we're trying to be very unbiased, but in my personal view, Bill Shorten cannot win the next election, but Tony sure as hell can lose it. Mm. But okay, we won't, we won't dance in politics land well, we are obviously talking about politicians, but who's going to win the election? But, I mean, you look at someone like Scott Morrison, who uh, was obviously the foreign minister, and he has his own catchphrases, but they f- they seem a lot more effective than, than Tony's. You know, the um, Operation Sovereign Borders, you know, it's national security interest that I can't say anything. He, he seems better at it than Tony does. I think he makes his script his catchphrase. So he, he sticks to the catchphrase. And if we go back to what I was talking about before about Tone's media training, um, the idea that he has slowed down his speech gives him a much more measured approach, can make him seem a little bit less sincere. And by removing the, the disfluencies, it, it is meant to make him look more professional and it gives him more time to formulate. He's also doing a lot more repetition. I didn't mention that, but I mean, anyone who's heard him talk about uh, the death cult... Mm-hmm. The death cult. Um, if he's talking about the death cult, he manages to drop death cult into the sentence twice for several paragraphs of, of message. It's a hell of a drinking game, by the way. <laughs> Take a shot every yeah. time he says yeah. death oh, cult. Oh, or stop the boats. Yeah, just goodness, get into it. Oof. Goodness, goodness. But by doing that repetition, it means he stays on message. He has time to formulate his next response or at least just get out of that interview without accidentally saying shit happens, something about the Nazis or something deeply offensive to a particular minority. Um, there's there's probably plenty more out there that he hasn't discovered and then we've got a whole media conference where he has to catch up. Mm. But are we picking on him? You yes. know, Does Jul- he deserve it? Well, that's the thing. You know, Julia Gillard got picked on about her voice, which is obviously sh- something that she can't change with a lot of training, yes. Uh but maybe we're, you know, that's the way his brain works. Maybe we're just picking on Tony too much. Oh, but does, does he get the job then? I mean, Julia yeah. Gillard's voice and her her bum were the two things that mm. were constantly being satirised. But these were not things that were creating policy. True. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tony Abbott's brain that we're picking on. Um, you're listening to The Vulture's Nest on 2SER. Next up, more language. Uh, the makeup chain Sephora was under fire this week for the name of one of their lipsticks. Uh, but first, here is a track from Marika Hackman. Burning the road through my mind are on fire For the light you shed 
Vulture's Nest. I'm Fiona Pepper and I'm here with Nick Healy and Andrew Popel. So Sephora, the big makeup chain, pulled a line of lipstick this week after customers became alarmed at the naming of the product, Underaged Red. Tweets rolled in like, Jesus, so do they have a whole sex offender line now? And lipstick named by a creep. Now, this lipstick was sold by Sephora, but is tattoo artist turned reality TV star Kat Von D's makeup line, who recently was criticised for the naming of another lipstick, Sally Buttard. I don't I don't kind of understand. C-E-L-E-B-U-T-A-R-D, just in case you're interested. That also got pulled. Um... But when you scratch below the surface, it's not just Kat Von D who is guilty of naming her makeup colours some weird and confusing sexualised name. It's rife in the makeup industry. It turns out big makeup brand MAC had their very own underage line too. Great minds. Uh, So what's going on here? Yes, we know that the fashion industry and the makeup industry have always been obsessed with youth and looking as youthful as humanly possible. But are these names sexualizing young girls and trivializing pedophilia, as one critic says, or as Kat Von D tweeted in response to the outcry, at the end of the day, it's just an effing lipstick. What do you think, Nick? Uh, of course it matters. The way we term things matters a, a hell of a lot. Um, and I, I hate to be that guy, but the other lipstick was Celebutard. Oh, I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah Celebutard. So as in um, yeah, celebrities. Oh, gotcha. And, yeah, Paul Thank Montel, you. Yeah, for... It's quite, quite a rude term to use, yeah. I think. Of course these matter. And, like, you know, when we're talking about that sort of level of sexualization, I mean, you know, we underage in that respect doesn't mean unable to buy a drink. I mm. mean, you know, there's a certain level of... Salacious connotations to it. It was deliberate. It's attracted the controversy that I think she wanted, but it's also just—it's just tacky. I mean, you could have called it "Sweet 16 or you know, it—it it doesn't have to have such strong sexual connotations. Um, I'm thinking about the topic we just discussed and <clears throat> whether we should be more concerned about the underlying meaning than the actual message as it's presented, because. There's obviously, there's a marketing department, there's a research department that have gone, okay, we want to create a look that evokes young children. <laughs> now, the, if they've, and, and we know, we know what marketing departments can do. We know how they create these products. They don't just sort of slap something on and go, we'll just tell people that they'll believe it. They spend a lot of time doing this. So they're trying to create, deliberately create this look. Just because they call it a particularly offensive name, I find it sort of even more worrying that people are out there deliberately trying to create this sexualized look and create it around children. Mm. I mean, you look at American Apparel. Last year they did a, an advertisement that I, I'm pretty sure was pulled. Uh, young girls in, in essentially their uh, school uniforms, but you could see their underwear. Uh, it, it crosses these weird lines. It's this problem with having a culture that worships the concept of youth mm. as the be-all, end-all of attractiveness. And it does descend into some particularly creepy areas, I think. And, yeah, I, this lipstick name, definitely one of them. I've actually got a couple of other creepy uh, cosmetic awesome. names. Um, OPI, which is a, a popular cosmetic brand, they had me so happy with this colour. So it wasn't it wasn't sexual, but it was just kind of a racist. Um, another one, Naughty Nails. Uh, I'm not really a whore. What? That was the name of a lipstick line. Uh, another one. What's a tire jack? Uh, give me more. 
and Iris, I was thinner. I'm, I'm throwing it out there now. I'm creating the hashtag slipstick. Ooh, zinger on the show. Yeah, get on that quickly. <laughs> yeah. So they're all are they, are they all OPI? No. Um. Oh, ne- yeah. Um, all, nearly all OPI, but then naughty nails. I'm not really a whore. I mean, that is just awful. But I also find it fascinating that you know, Mac. And Kat Von D, their marketing teams were on the same page. Mac has their own underage uh, lip gloss line, which I'm not sure if it has been pulled, but it's not had nearly as much kind of uh, controversy as as Kat Von D. Let me clarify, though. Like, are Mac creating makeup for girls who are under 18? Well, I suppose makeup is created. It's not an age thing. But that's very different to then creating a clearly adult lipstick and saying it's underage red. No, but an adult lipstick, that's a weird thing to say, Nick. I I know, but I mean, yeah, the Kat Von D stuff, it's not being pitched at Mm. kids. It's being pitched Oh, no, no, no. So this MAC line is not being pitched at kids. Oh, right. It's just called, it's like an underage, that's the colour, it's underage. It's like a kind of pink skin coloured gloss. Oh, that's awful. So, the, you know, it's quite incredible that these two marketing teams came to the same conclusion. I've got a, just a purely sort of factual type question here. Is there much difference? I mean, I my knowledge of lipstick is not extensive, but mm. if you're going out and buying underage red, underage red? Yeah. Or I'm not really a whore. Um where do, where do they fall on the colour spectrum? Is, is this just salacious? Sure. Is it just trying to, to go... So so underage red is bold red. You know, it's very popular at the moment for 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 very bright red mm-hmm. okay. lipstick. I'm not sure what... I'm not really a whore what the... I imagine it would be very bright red as well. Yeah. So they, they might essentially be the same colour. Yeah. Okay. You could have just called it red. Could have just call, we could have just called <laughs> yeah. it red. What's your lipstick line? Red. But then what's the... In, what are they insinuating if you wear that well, red? Hypersexuality. Yeah, and I'm not really... Hypersexuality from a very male perspective of what women's sexuality should be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who is... That, that's a good point. We're sort of bringing in the male perspective. Who is dictating these these names? I mean, presumably the creator has a hand in this, but it does seem to play particularly to a male gaze, mm. the idea. Ab- absolutely. And, I, like, I don't know, I think this... Language is utterly important. Language is essential. It is how we describe and interact with the world around us at large. You can't just say it was just a joke, get over it, it's just a name, because these things have immense significance. Mm. Yeah, it is, it's about the image you project. I am currently wearing my, I pick these up off the floor jeans, but to not signal to everyone that I'm a bit of a bum on a Saturday morning when I have to get up early, I just call them jeans. Yes. <laughs> nice. The signifier is the jean. Mm. <laughs> and you don't wear lipstick, or not to my knowledge, so you haven't got underage red on this morning. And they don't make underage beard oil, thank God. <laughs> exactly. Yep, mind-blowing stuff. It's all language. We've been talking about that on the Vulture's Nest. Um, stay tuned because up next uh, is the art show. So. Uh...